communications and development departments and nonprofits, they don't always see eye to eye. And it's more than just a lack of interaction, more than just, you know, we don't know enough about what, quote, they do. There has historically been real tension between these two groups. Staying on message is the wheelhouse of the communications team. And then there are times when the development folks need the message to be different to meet their needs. A certain kind of arrogance, maybe? I don't know. Development staff might say, you know, we know the messaging that really speaks to our donors, and your branding messaging doesn't work, and we can't hit our goals without that kind of messaging. You've heard this, right? This tension leads to silos, which we know is never a good thing in nonprofit organizations, and silos lead to competing messages, also never a good thing. More and more nonprofits are merging these functions under one umbrella called external affairs. I found us a guest who can help us make sense of all of this. He's a career nonprofit communications professional who less than a year ago took charge of the development function in his organization, and he is, in fact, the director of external affairs. I totally wanted to learn more about this, the origins of the tensions, and whether this merging works or whether it muddies the water, or both. And I thought you might benefit from learning about it too. Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy, Not Enough Money, Too Many Cooks, and Abundance of Passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, author, blogger, and founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab gets it. She is here to help. Steve Rawls is the Director of External Affairs for Public Justice, a nonprofit legal organization that pursues high-impact lawsuits to combat social and economic injustice, protect the Earth's sustainability, and challenge predatory corporate conduct and government abuses. Steve oversees public justice media, messaging, outreach, and development. Prior to public justice, Steve was a communications director for immigration equality, a legal aid and advocacy organization dedicated to securing equal access to immigration rights, including asylum and marital immigration benefits for LGBT immigrants and their families. He also worked for nearly a decade with an organization called Service Members Legal Defense Network, where he spearheaded communications for the very successful groundbreaking campaign to repeal the military's don't ask, don't tell ban on lesbian and gay service members. Steve's work has included national media coverage in the nation's leading print, online, television, and radio news outlets. Steve is a really gifted communications professional. He has also been a client and he's a friend. Steve, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you. I am very excited to be here. Um, I think, and I think the reason that you're probably excited is because people do need to hear about this sort of the, this intersection of these two things. But before we do that, um, I like people to know about the organizations that folks work with. So uh, tell us a little bit about public justice. Now you can learn lots at their website at publicjustice.net. Um, and if you like the site, it's navigation, it's ease for donating, and it's messaging, you can reach Steve at srawls at publicjustice.net and tell him yourself directly. But um, tell us a little bit about the work that you do at Public Justice, Steve. Sure. So I like to say that Public Justice is the nonprofit legal force for the little guy. We specialize in taking what on the surface seem like maybe small cases dealing with what could be seen as arcane legal issues, but that have a really big impact in the lives of thousands, in some cases, millions of individuals. 
And we represent those who either can't afford or can't find a private attorney to take on their case. Now, in, in legal speak, that means we do impact litigation. But in reality, it means that we stand up in court for, uh, for people who are fighting polluters, who are fighting corporations, who have a case that will not only make a difference in their lives, but that will make a difference in a lot of lives. Um, I like I like the messaging, uh, the little guy messaging, by the way, Mr. Rawls. Uh, I had a little help with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I learned a lot about public justice when, uh, when I was working with you all, and um, I learned about class action suits. I learned about Cypre revenue. I, um, what you do is very interesting, and it is, while you represent the little guy, you actually do this kind of litigation that changes, um, changes the world for lots and lots of people. I was reminded uh, of the... Um, the arbitration clauses, which I w- originally it made me yawn, but then I realized it's important that these arbitration clauses, where the like the cell phone company can decide that they get to decide who the arbitration person is, and like like lots of like things that are sort of really super unfair that take advantage of the little guy. Yeah, we we specialize in a lot of the hot button issues that you hear about every day. So the environment, civil rights, students holding their schools accountable, taking on big Wall Street banks and predatory lenders. But we really do it in a way and with cases that no other organization does. Um, And, you know, when I came to public justice and read about what the organization was doing, my first question was, why haven't I heard of you before? Because it's really an extraordinary legal docket uh, that touches really every aspect of most Americans' lives. So I want to move on to the topic, but I, um, I know that um, you took this job because you wanted everyone to know about it. So um, good for you and good for public justice. So um, it's clear that you have been around the nonprofit block a few times. So Let's talk about this historic tension between communications and development. Um, I guess maybe I I shouldn't presume, so maybe I should rephrase and say, have you seen this tension in different organizations? And what do you, what if you do, what do you see as some of, what do you think are some of the root causes? I've seen it to some extent in every organization that I've worked in, and I've heard from both comms staffers and development staffers and other organizations that this tension is is part of is part of the the institutional culture if you will and i think in large part it is about audiences the communications team is tasked with speaking to a very large audience the public, that means everyone. That means telling the organization's story and its work in a way that everyone can understand. Whereas the development team, while still telling that story, they're telling that story to people who either already have been or will potentially be motivated to give financial resources in support of the organization's work. So I think it's really about one team talking to a really big pond and another team talking to a smaller pond 
And the way you talk to those two constituencies is oftentimes a little bit different. So you talk to a reporter differently than you talk to a donor. And so I think there's a natural tension that arises out of that. So let's let's bring that bring that to life for me a little bit. Can you can you offer the folks who are listening an example of how you might have experienced this tension uh, wearing only your communications hat? Um, and, and as a follow up question, Mr. Rawls, um, do you think that you have ever been the source of said tension? No, I can't imagine I've ever been the source of, of such attention of any um, tension, no. right? I'm absolutely positive that I have been. I mean, I'll give you a real world example that I'm grappling with this week. Um, So next Tuesday, January 15th, we are arguing a very important but extremely complex case before the United States Supreme Court. And the the effects of the ruling in the case will impact a huge number of people. But the legal argument at the heart of the case is something that no one without a legal background would ever understand. Now, at Public Justice, we have sort of a unique challenge in that about 90% or more of our donor base consists of lawyers. So our development team is talking all day, every day, to attorneys who live and breathe and litigate these very complex issues every single day. But in looking at a communication strategy around this case, it became clear that the legal arguments at the heart of the case were not going to generate a ton of press interest um, because you just can't understand what they are if you're not a lawyer. And so from the communications perspective, the answer was we have to take the client in the case and we have to tell his story of what happened to him and why that matters. And that's going to be what explains the importance of the case to the public at large. But that is vastly simplified in the eyes of the attorneys who finance the work that we're doing. They care very much about that arcane and complex legal issue. And so we have two very, very different approaches uh, in communications versus development and how we're talking about this case. So there are many different kinds of legal advocacy organizations around the country. Uh, This is a a very common tension. And then you add the third leg of the stool, which is the attorneys who are doing the work, who are going to look at your statement and they're going to nitpick it to death because they're going to say it's way too simple. You're you're missing the nine points that need to be included, Steve. You know, our attorneys, because of the work that we did with you and your team, Joan, have come a really long way in understanding how to communicate to a general audience and why that's important. So in this case... You know, I spent the better part of a day with the attorneys working on the case, doing what I call translation work from legalese to plain English. Um, and, and 
you know, we've really made a lot of progress here at Public Justice because we tried to break down the silos, not just between communications and development, but between those two branches of the organization and the litigants who are doing the actual programmatic work. And so I think the silo breaking is important, not just on the comms and development side, but it's really important on the programmatic side as well. So let's um, let's take ourselves back to last year, and um, you're a guy that is a sort of a, a professional communications uh, a communications professional. You don't have any fundraising experience, so, uh, um, although I bet um, that in your jobs, that thanks to some of your really smart messaging, you've been responsible for very successful fundraising efforts. My guess, and uh, and here you are. They hand, the, the, the organization restructures, and here you are uh, supervising the development department and the team. So you're now the director of external affairs. This is a brand new kind of role for you. Um, talk about the learning curve for me, Steve. What were the, the sort of what were the challenges that you faced as you walked into that role? It was a very daunting undertaking for me. So you know, I, I had a joke, which was also uh, true that you know the only people I would ask for money are people that I'm dating. And so, <laughs> and so I, I am not someone who enjoys doing fundraising asks, and I'm not someone, as you said, who has done a lot of them. However, I did recognize that development and communications have in common the fact that we're both telling stories, right? We're, we're telling the story of the organization, who it is helping, how it is helping them. And so that is the common denominator that I started with, with the development team. Um, you know, it, it, was, it, it was very intimidating in some respects to take over a team where I knew from day one that most people on that team knew and understood the development work far better than I did. But I felt like what I could bring to them was a discussion of how to tell the story of what we're doing and then to find the middle ground to ensure that there was messaging consistency across the organization. Because as you know, we were facing a, a reality where in many cases, development and communications were not just talking differently, but they were talking about totally different things. And so getting everyone on board with this is the message that we're selling was priority number one. Um, but there's no doubt that it was uh, a steep learning curve for me. Um, but I think that putting together the right team, which maybe we'll talk about in a bit, played an important role in making sure that we had that message consistency. And so being able to recognize the strengths of who we had on the development and comms team and then maximize those was really important. So any pushback from the development team, sort of like Steve is a really good communications professional, but like he doesn't have any fundraising chops. Like what, 
What's this about that he's our new boss? Honestly, not any pushback on that front, but I think that the members of the development team definitely understood what my learning curve was coming into this. And so it, in the beginning, required a huge amount of patience on their part. I mean, I was essentially a new development staffer who they were training on how to do their job. And so it really sort of reversed the supervisor employee role where they were my mentor for many, many weeks until I was up to speed on what they were doing every day. I, I know some of your development team, and but I will say that that's, that's a, a, a really generous approach to a new boss, isn't it? Well, we do have a terrific development team. We really do. Um, and they are wickedly smart, and they are insanely passionate. And, you know, there are pluses and minuses to that in every situation, but at the end of the day, it shakes out that, you know, they, they are good at their job and I respect that. And I got to learn a lot from them. You know, when I, when I talk to, um, when I coach EDs or when I work with boards and we talk about fundraising, um, one of the ways in which I, um, I think I am able to introduce fundraising to board members who are potentially reluctant to engage is by really talking about them as credible messengers who um, really simply just need to tell a really, really good story and complete that with an invitation, whether that's an invitation to be a volunteer, and the new staff member, a new board member, or a check writer. And so the idea that storytelling is at the heart of the combination of these two makes a ton of sense to me um, in a way that I think a couple of years ago probably didn't make as much sense to me. Um, is the key in terms of the success of bridging these, you know, you can put one person in charge of both departments and that, that, that doesn't necessarily solve your problem. Is the key sort of, sort of shared goals? And like, how do you set goals for each group? Are they shared and then executed differently? Like, how does that work? I would say it's more about a shared understanding. So one of the things that I immediately did when I uh, began supervising the development department is I put together a biweekly meeting where the development staff and the communication staff come together, usually for about 90 minutes to two hours. And we sit down and I say, programmatically, here's what's on the horizon. Here's what's going to happen over the next two weeks. Now let's talk about why that matters to some of our donors and how we reach them with news of what we're doing. And let's talk about what the communication strategy around that programmatic work is going to be. So the first step is just making sure everybody's on the same page and understands this is what's happening. And then what's really beneficial in having development and comms under one roof is that I can facilitate and guide the discussion about what the messaging is going to be in a way that I could not when those were two separate departments. So you know, I, I want to give huge props to our development director who is amazing at 
her job. But at the end of the day, there has to be someone who says the messaging box stops with me. And if you have a head of communications and a head of development, and they have two separate audiences that they are communicating with, you will inevitably have tension and to a certain extent combat between those two departments. Whereas now there's a single messaging decision maker who through a facilitated discussion and not just handing down orders from above can put everybody on the same page. And that is so important. So you would add, you would actually, sounds like you would actually advocate for a nonprofit organization to consider this kind of structure. Absolutely. I, I questioned how well it would work for public justice because we are, we've been around for 36 years. And in those 36 years, Development and communications have always been siloed and deeply siloed where communications directors and development directors rarely even spoke to each other during the course of a week. And so the idea of combining the two seemed like a daunting task. But let me tell you, there is far less internal discussion or, or sorry, internal disagreement about what our message is going to be. And when a case comes down the pipeline, development knows it's coming. They know how to talk about it. Communications knows it's coming. They know how to talk about it. And importantly, the two teams are talking to each other in a way that they never had before. And that's made a world of difference for us. I, I, I'm going to have I'm going to have to guess that you have a pretty facilitative management style. I mean, you're a guy who knows, you know, you know your stuff and you know what you want. But this also does require a kind of facilitative management style. Yes, absolutely. I'm also smart enough to know what I don't know, and so I do not see. Even though I manage development, I do not see my job as telling the development director how to go out and fundraise. That is her expertise, not my expertise. My expertise is in crafting a story and a narrative for a mission and an organization. And that is my role in development and, and sort of transferring that narrative across both communications and the fundraising team. Two questions come to my mind uh, as you were speaking. The first one is, um, as a general rule, development reports right into the executive director of a nonprofit, as a general rule, because fundraising is such a big part of the portfolio of the ED. They are the sort of the lead ambassador. Um, does, um, does having a layer in between present challenges or opportunities? It's been a big benefit for us. So the development director continues to meet regularly with the executive director to build a fundraising and major gift strategy directly with the executive director. But the difference is that now when the development director walks into that meeting, she can not only tell the executive director 
who and why he is soliciting for money, but she can tell him how. And that's the narrative part. That's the story part. And so in many ways, the development director is a much more valuable partner to the executive director because she can convey what our organizational message will be. I love that, right? Because historically, or just, you know, sort of from the outside looking in, people think about fundraising, the fund development department, as all about transactions, all about donor databases, all about renewal rates, and the, and this, you know, all of that specifics, which is clearly super important. Um, but the, but the story is this is the centerpiece. Absolutely. And, you know, I think our development director, because she walks into those meetings, not with just with the executive director, but also with the board, knowing exactly what she's talking about, literally knowing what she's talking about, what the story <laughs> is. And that gives her both more confidence in putting together the right fundraising strategy, but it also gives her more freedom to focus on what she's good at. So we don't have a development director now who is spending a huge amount of time and struggling putting together a narrative because they have the communications department as a partner in doing that for them. So we are talking with uh, my friend and communications professional, Steve Rawls, who is the Director of External Affairs for Public Justice, a nonprofit legal advocacy organization that pursues high-impact uh, lawsuits to combat social and economic injustice, protect the Earth's sustainability, and to challenge predatory corporate conduct and government abuses, protecting, as he said earlier, the little guy. And uh, prior to public justice, Steve uh, worked uh, at Immigration Equality, working on behalf of LGBT immigrants and their families, and then before that with Service Members Legal Defense Network, where he was engaged very actively in the successful campaign to repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Um, and what we're talking about here today is the intersection of development and communications, the kind of historic tension that has existed, the silos that have historically existed. And it sounds to me, if you've been sort of listening in your car or on the elliptical machine, that maybe Steve is onto something. Maybe he's got the secret sauce going on here. Um, I wanted to ask one other question about this kind of a structure. We just talked a minute ago about um, you know, the notion that, that the development director doesn't report directly into the executive director. So uh, for our listeners who are, who are really percolating on this as they listen to you, Steve, um, and I think I know what your answer is going to be, but I suspect it's because you're biased. Um, if you're going to do it, a director of external affairs who's in charge of both fundraising and communications, would you, would you argue that a communications professional would be better suited to that than a development professional? <laughs> um, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer to that. But I will, you know, someone pointed out to me, which I thought was very, a very interesting view on this, when we combine development and communications and the communications director, being me, became the head of that department, someone said to me, well, that's actually sending an important message to your donors because the organization has prioritized 
mission and message above money. And donors really want to know that the organization they're supporting is dedicated to the mission that they are funding. And I had not thought about it that way, but it really, it, it rings true. And, and I think, you know, unfortunately, there are a lot of organizations where executive directors would be very nervous about putting communications, which is arguably a programmatic function, in charge of fundraising. Um, but, you know, I think public justice really does place a priority on being mission-focused, and we have communicated that with this structure. Um, you know, I, I want to be uh, very clear with your listeners who might be wondering, our fundraising has not dipped since we did this. It has grown. <laughs> um, it has grown. It has diversified. And, you know, we, we definitely have not seen a negative impact on our fundraising by putting a communications person at the, at the top of that department. There is um, something you said earlier, and I have actually um, worked with quite a lot of legal advocacy organizations, um, not because I have a law degree, because I don't, uh, but you talked about the fact that the large majority of your donors are lawyers. And I would think that this structure presents new opportunities. Like you talked about the audiences being different at the beginning, right? You said, you know, our donors are largely lawyers and you're going to talk to them a certain way that's different from the way that you talk to the general public. Um, the general public, you're going to talk from a sort of client story base. Lawyers, they might want to know the intricacies of, um, uh, of the particular case. But what I heard you just say, I heard, heard you word the, use the word diversify, right? Isn't there a huge opportunity in thinking about your story and how it can reach people who are not lawyers and that if your development department is only talking about the work like lawyers to lawyers, um, you, you risk only having lawyer donors. Absolutely. And you know, notably, in addition to combining communications and development when we did our organizational restructuring, we also added a grassroots organizer and outreach manager whose job has been to go into the communities that are impacted by the work that we do and explain to them that, hey, public justice is the organization behind this, and here's what we do. And because that position was created as part of the external affairs team, that is someone who has worked both with the communications team, but also with the development team to think about how do we talk to non-attorney supporters in the field about the necessity of, of supporting our work. And, you know, it's been really amazing to sort of see the response to that. We launched uh, almost a year ago, we launched for the first time a section of our website that our outreach, our new outreach manager created. 
And it's specifically to allow people who are not attorneys to take action on the cases, the issues at the heart of the cases that we work on. And the morning that we launched that site, we had for the first 12 hours or so, something like one person per minute signing up to tell us what issue we work on that they care about so that we could then stay in touch with them. And that's not only an organizing gold mine, that's also a fundraising gold mine. Wow. That's a, that is a, I, I had not heard that story and that's a really, really good one. Um, uh, it's it, you. You make the case with a with a great amount of eloquence. Given that you were probably a little daunted at the very beginning, is uh, it certainly seems like um, you've you've seen so much benefit, which is so wonderful to see because you don't want to be the organization that everybody ought to know about. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the opportunity to reach, you know, we see this a lot, the opportunity to reach outside of the legal community opens up so many different doors. Um, and the more doors you open, it's not just about how much more money you raise. It's also about how much more visibility and how many times the press is actually going call you versus, you know, the other way around. Yeah, I mean, it's been great to see the response. Our development director told me just last week she had lunch with someone at a law firm, so a lawyer, but who said over the course of lunch, every time I listen to the news now, I hear about public justice. And, you know, it's great to know that people are paying attention to the work that we, a donor firm, is making possible at public justice. And that's a new phenomenon for us that, that is, is really important and has you know, really changed the way we think about how we communicate with lawyers and non-lawyers. Well, and I, it's also must be super rewarding. I mean, that's why you came to public justice. I mean, you and I are friends and, you know, this, this wasn't necessarily an obvious next place for you, but, but at the same time you saw opportunity, uh, and you saw need. And it's really, really nice to hear you talk about this in a way that you've clearly um, made a mark, which is, which is awfully lovely to hear. Though I want to emphasize, I am, in many ways, in most ways, the, the conductor of this orchestra. And there are very talented players who, who are making that magic music happen. Um, said uh, like a good manager, a good facilitative manager. So we are um, nearly out of time, but I want to... Uh, I want to put in the, uh, I want to plant a seed with you and with listeners. I think that I would very much like to do a podcast episode that explores what does it mean to do a campaign? What does it mean for an organization? And I'm not talking about a, like a, a, a capital campaign. You can you can listen to the one of the podcasts from a couple of weeks ago to learn about that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a programmatic campaign that moves the needle on something and also drives fundraising revenue. And um, 
I believe there is so much more opportunity in that for nonprofit leaders than they see or than that they explore. And although I do not want to give short shrift, I do want to say that the work that um, that Steve Rawls did at Service Members Legal Defense Network um, as part of a campaign to repeal um, the ban on gays and lesbians in the military, that there's some intricacies about that that are really worth hearing about. And, um, and, and yes, its success likely was a fundraising boon for SLDN, but it was about way more than that. Um, and, and Steve, I, I would assume you, you would agree with me that a, that a campaign well executed um, offers, offers the organization a ton of opportunity. Absolutely. I mean, the don't ask, don't tell repeal effort is a perfect example of that. I mean, not only did the organization grow financially, it grew in political influence and at the end of the day, it's one of the few movements and nonprofits that can look back and say, we actually did what we set out to do. And so we don't necessarily need to be around anymore. Um, and, you know, there are not a lot of organizations that can say that. And I think the, the messaging and fundraising and political campaign, com political components of the repeal effort were so wonderfully in sync with each other, that played a huge role in making that victory come about as quickly as it did. Agreed. Um, and uh, in the current climate, um, it's, probably, it's probably a good thing that uh, Service Members Legal Defense Network, which is now called something else, I think OutServe. OutServe, yes. OutServe. Um, uh, in the current climate, um, it's probably a good thing that, uh, that well, good thing, let me reframe that, that there's, there's still quite a lot of work to do. And I th think that's true of many movements that make progress. Um, they can actually uh, find, their, find themselves slipping back and the need continues to, to be there. So anyway, so uh, what I want to say here is I, I'm going to do a podcast episode and, I, and I'm going I'm to make Steve Rawls come back and we're going to tease out the elements of a successful campaign that, what, what, what do we mean by a campaign? How, what are the successful components of it? Um, how do they work? What gets in the way? That kind of thing. So, um, so uh, I can see him nodding his head that he would love to come back. So, um, uh, last question: uh, Nonprofit leaders listening, uh, maybe they're experiencing this tension between communications and development. Um, I'm certainly hearing that the merging is not necessarily a quick fix. Um, if you're an executive director and you're seeing this tension, any advice, uh, regardless of whether they uh, merge the functions? or whether they don't? Break down the silos. Uh, that is so important. Even if the two functions don't become one department, make them communicate with each other, make them strategize with each other. And as an executive director, be a part of that. You know, we're really fortunate at Public Justice that we have an executive director who is really engaged and wants the staff to know that he believes in the work that they are doing and wants to find ways to do it better. Um, and breaking down silos is so important. Um, you have to give everyone a seat at the table 
you have to break down the programmatic silos, the fundraising silos. And, you know, I say force everyone to come together, but I think it's more about the executive director inspiring everyone to want to come together. Um, and, and I want to underscore an executive director should not say to a communications or a development director, here, you're in charge of both of these things. Now go make it work. Right. The executive director has to be an active partner in that process. Very good. Very good advice. And uh, um, the issue of silos haunts many nonprofit organizations. So I'm guessing that um, people, uh, yours perked up about that. And um, and I th- the last thing I would say is, having people understand the benefit of working together, right? What does it look like if you work together um, rather than stay in your own silo? I mean, we see a lot of silos in nonprofit clients, and I don't think organizations typically do a good enough job of talking about what working together would be in the service of and why the work would be improved, enhanced, greater impact, greater money, all of those things. So I appreciate you raising that with us. Um, but we are out of time. And, uh, and I think Mr. Rawls also has a, has another meeting, so we want to, don't want to keep him. Um, but, um, Steve, thanks a lot for, for joining us. And I'm really, um, both as a friend and as someone who, uh, was lucky enough to call public justice a client, I'm really glad to hear things are going so well. It was my pleasure. Thank you. So, um... Uh, that wraps us up for this episode of Nonprofits Are Messy. Um, just want to just remind you, uh, like this free resource, we have uh, lots of other free resources at joangary.com, where we post weekly, uh, weekly uh, resources for board and staff leaders of nonprofit organizations. Uh, our podcasts appear there as well as... Um, blog posts as well. So hope you'll join us there and I look forward to talking with you next time. Take care. Joan Gary's obsession with supporting your work takes many forms. Subscribe to her blog at joangary.com, reaching over 100,000 visitors monthly from over 170 countries. Explore the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, the best online resource for board and staff leaders of small nonprofits at nonprofitleadershiplab.com. Join 15,000 kindred spirits on Facebook at Thriving Nonprofit with Joan Gary.